once we get going. Um, this morning, I want us to keep in the back of our minds um, one of the big questions um, of all of history. The question is this. How's it going to end? How is it going to go down? What is the culmination of these things, of these thousands and thousands and, and millions and millions of years of history? What, where does it end? How does, how does it end? Who has the power to end it? Or can it be at all? These are the questions we need to look at today. Um, I hope you have your Bibles, because I'm going to need to do a little bit more of than what we read today. Um, and, and so maybe you have it on your phone, or maybe you brought your Bible, or maybe there's somebody you can share with. Um, but, but it'll be helpful if you can look at all of Revelation chapter 5. Uh, many of you have it memorized, I know, and so you won't have to look at it. But the rest of you, pull it out on your screen or your Bible. That would be great. Revelation chapter 5, and the reason we need to do that is because our reading this morning is answering the very question that I just posed to you just now. We see it in Revelation 5-2, where this angel is crying out, who is worthy to take the scroll? Now, you don't know what that means necessarily right now, but we'll explain it. But, but he's asking, who is worthy to take the scroll? And basically, he's saying, who is worthy to unlock the scroll of history and bring a culmination to time? It's the same question that John's churches were at, having um, when John wrote this letter. John is, is the apostle. John, the beloved disciple, and he is um, writing well, well after Jesus' death. This is the oldest, I mean the, the youngest, excuse me, um, uh, piece of scripture we have. And John lived to quite an old age, although it was not an easy life. And he is now on the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea. And many of you are thinking, well, that's not so bad. But it was. He was imprisoned. He was probably starving, he was thirsty, he was hot, and he couldn't be with his people because his churches were being persecuted. John was, their leader was gone, the churches were being persecuted, Rome was swarming in on them, they're waiting for Jesus to come back, but man, this is, this is hard work, and they're asking the question, how is this going to end? How's it going to go down? Who is directing these events of history and when will it come to its culmination? They're waiting and they're being persecuted and they're victims of violence and injustice and they're asking, Where is Jesus? When will this end? This is the question that we also, that the world has to and is pondering on, on a regular basis. What is the end? What is the culmination of, of history? Will there be justice and peace and unity? Or is this it? A world where injustice goes unpunished, where war continues without end, and where forever we remain a divided people. And so John has given this book of Revelation to answer that question. How will it end? What will it look like? And so at the beginning of chapter 4, John is called into the very throne room of God. 
And four is amazing. You should read it. He sees some glorious things. And, and he sees God sitting on his throne. But like so many biblical writers before him, John can't begin to describe what he actually sees. The, the, he can't begin to describe the Ancient of Days sitting on the throne. And so he has all these sort of abstract and beautiful images. But, but when he's talking about God, at the end of the day, he, the only thing he can say is, He's the one who sits on the throne. And he's surrounded by heavenly creatures, angels and cherubim and seraphim and these amazing creatures that that we can't begin to imagine. They're offering him praises and honor and they're carrying out his commands. And then in verse 1 of chapter 5, there in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, I saw a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. John sees a scroll there at the right hand of the Ancient of Days. It's hard to describe clearly what the scroll is, but but it's almost like, maybe you would consider it kind of like a last will and testament for history. A last will and testament for the world. Um, it, It describes the things that need to happen to tie up the affairs of the estate. The scroll needs an executor to open it, Right? An executor to open it and and make sure that these things are are carried out. And the question in this context is, who's going to do it? Who will open the scroll and bring about the culmination of history to set right the wrongs of injustice, to bring peace to the world, and to tie up the unfinished business that remains? So John looks around. The angel asks, who is worthy to open the scroll? And John looks, and he waits, and no one comes forward. And the scroll remains sealed. And what does John do in verse 3? No one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And so I began to weep loudly, because no one, no one, no one was found worthy to open the scroll. Or to look into it. And so he's weeping loudly. Some translations will say, I began weeping and weeping and endlessly weeping. Why is John weeping? Well, frankly, he's come to the conclusion that this present reality, exiled on Patmos, persecution and death, this is it. The scroll's going to sit unopened and this is what we're left with. No one and no thing has been found worthy to open the scroll from John's perspective at this point. To preside over the unfinished business of history. We, we are doomed, John was seeing, to the status quo. Now how does this play out in our world? Let me just consider two, two ways this can go. Okay, Throughout history, there have been leaders and ideologies that have thought they were the culmination. They were the ones worthy to break the seals, to open the scroll, to to bring about the end. And so, for instance, you see it in the self-worship of the ancient emperors, whether it was in Rome or or Egypt. You see this this self-worship. Surely our empire and our dynasty is the one. You see it more recently in Nazi Germany, right? The beginnings of the Aryan race that would be the climax of human development. Maybe on a more hopeful note, you consider it, um, there's this thought that, that man's just progressing. Men and women, we're just getting better. 
right? Look back in history. Look how bad we used to be. And we're just going to keep getting better. And one day it'll, it'll all culminate in some sort of utopia that will be the kingdom of God on earth because we'll finally have figured it out. Of course, that philosophy was destroyed in the trenches of World War I and annihilated the bombs of World War II. And so we're left with the second option, this prevailing attitude that history has no end and therefore this is what we get. And so it should lead us to despair It should lead us to moral ambiguity, though many of us won't accept this, whether we're Christians or not. We're hopeful people. We we want some sort of system to tell us right and wrong. And so um, instead, we we, we change things up, and we even Christianize this. And we, we, we forget the big picture that Jesus Christ is reigning and will return. Instead, we focus on the here and now, and we go maybe with the prosperity gospel, and we say, well, if I have enough faith, the Lord will, will, will pull me out of persecution, and he'll give to me the things I need, and maybe even a little bit more if I'm extra good or have extra faith. Or we go into a theology of self-justification and we forget the big picture of Christ reigning over the world and we concern ourselves with how we can get into heaven. Leave all of this behind and get to be with Jesus. And, and, and so some of us say, well, maybe at the end of the day, I'll have done more good things than bad things. And I can leave this broken world behind and be with Jesus if I'm good enough. But John, he sees this vision. He said, none of these things, none of these human ideologies, none of this um, despair can open the scroll. It's sitting there. Who is worthy of this? And so he weeps. And he weeps loudly for himself, for his churches, for the created world. But you know, that's not the end of the story, right? And so we hear verse 5 of Revelation 5. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open up the scroll and its seven seals. And John looks up and he has tears streaming down his face and he he wipes his eyes right and he blinks out the, the blurry vision you get when you're crying. And there he's expecting to see this powerful lion, the lion of Judah. The messianic hope of Israel, a ruler in the line of David, a conquering Messiah. And John looks up expecting this grand and powerful lion. And what does he see? He sees a lamb. He sees a lamb. A slain lamb at that. And the lamb walks up to the throne. To the one who is seated And the lamb takes the scroll. And the lamb is ready to break open the seals. And so we get to verses 9 and 10. And we have the whole company of heaven singing a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. It's the answer to the question of verse 2. Who's worthy to bring an end, to bring the culmination of history And it's this lamb who was slain, who will bring justice, who will bring peace, who will bring finality into a broken and senseless world. The slain lamb of God, who is the Lion of Judah, is worthy to take the scroll. So as we finish up, I want to think about why. 
Why is the Lamb worthy to take the scroll? So if we read on in verse 9, they sing to him, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Why is he worthy? Because he's ransomed people for God. By his blood, he has conquered sin and death. Remember what the, the angel said to John? He said, he said, weep no more. Behold, the Lion of Judah has what? He has conquered. And now we're seeing that the Lion of Judah is the slain Lamb of God. And that Lamb is conquered, but he, but he hasn't conquered violently like a lion. He's conquered by giving his life that we might be freed from sin and death. He has ransomed the people of God. He's brought them from every tongue and tribe and nation. The Lamb of God is is unifying a warring people and he will bring peace among all of these tribes and tongues who, who, who right now all it seems we want to do is shoot each other. And he'll bring us together in the throne room of God. And he's making us, the people of God, a kingdom of priests to do what? To reign on the earth. Do you, do you see what that means? It means that Rome is not reigning on the earth forever. It means that ISIS will not reign on the earth. It means that the United States will not reign on the earth. That Jesus and his people will reign on the earth. And these nations and the injustices they've committed, they will fall under the judgment of God And God's kingdom and peace will be here and his people will reign in it. And who is worthy to accomplish these things? It's the lamb who was slain. So he's worthy because he was slain. And then we read on to verses 11 to 14. He's also worthy because he shares the throne of God. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. Can you imagine the scene? How many angels and heavenly creatures are singing this song? They sang with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Do you hear that? If, you, if we were to read verse 4, you would hear this. They're singing this to God who is sitting on the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and is, was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive what? Glory and honor and power. The Lamb is receiving the same things as God who is sitting on the throne. They share the throne. And we read on. Verse 13, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The lamb of God shares the throne with the ancient of days. 
And we're seeing here some, some early Trinitarian theology. Unfortunately, John didn't spell that out exactly how it works. But, but, but we have God, Father, and Son, and we also know Holy Spirit. This is, this is one God and yet three distinct persons. We see God the Father and God the Son, the Lamb. The one who is slain, who ransomed us for God, is God himself, Jesus Christ. He is worthy to open up the scroll of history. And and because of that, he is worthy of our worship and our praise and our submission Verse 14, and the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. What are we going to do with this? Well, I want to say two things. And one is this. Is your life fully and completely Submitted to the slain Lamb of God who is reigning at the right hand of the Father. And many of us will say yes, and and praise God for that. But all of us, somewhere in the deepest and darkest recesses of our hearts, or maybe it's even more obvious than that, have decided that sometimes it's just a little bit easier not to be fully submitted. Mostly submitted, maybe. But fully submitted is really hard. But the creatures in heaven, when they saw the Lamb of God, they laid down prostrate at his feet and sang his praises. Do with me whatever you will, Jesus. But sometimes I think we want to follow Jesus, but we also want to hang on to the things that are going to allow us to get ahead in this world, right? And so we'll follow Jesus, but sometimes it's helpful to, I don't know, to bend the rules a little bit. Um, to, to, to sort of compromise on some issues because it's, it makes things easier for us in this world and, and we can justify it by saying, look, this is how the world works today. Or sometimes we follow Jesus, but in order to retain that control, we try to justify ourselves with our good works and our own personal holiness. I read my Bible every day. I go to church every day. I raise a, a, a happy family that loves Jesus. Certainly I've earned this. But Jesus has called, called us to follow him without reservation. So we can't hold back. We can't say, well, you know, to really be a um, perfectly committed follower to Jesus, I need to take a stand on some issues, perhaps with the issue of, of life. Perhaps I need to take a stand on the issue of caring for the poor. Um, And that's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. And it's going to cost you more and more as this culture continues. And so actually submitting yourself to Jesus will likely lead to some form of persecution. Um, Certainly to social shame. We're seeing that more and more. And if you don't have a big picture, okay, of Jesus Christ reigning over creation, if your main concern is finishing this world up some way um, and getting in, into heaven and not really thinking through the fact that Jesus is reigning over all things, it's going to be much easier to bend yourself to the pressures of society. 
But instead, we're called to endure. We're called to submit. We're called to take a stand. And friends, it's going to cost us. But we have a hope beyond all hope of Jesus Christ reigning in heaven. And we know that one day all of these things and anything it costs us will be restored four, five, ten million fold to us as we take our place as heirs of the kingdom of God. And so are you fully submitted to Jesus? And then finally, last thing. I'm guessing some of you here actually think, and, 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 and I, don't, I understand this, that, that there's no end. That this is it. And it's going to keep rolling along. And, and you, might, you, you might not believe in, in Christ. And you, you think, well, you know, this is, this is it. So I've got to make the best of it. And, and if that's you, that, that, that's fine. I'm really glad you're here today. I just want to encourage you to do this. Please, please be intellectually honest with yourself. What are the implications if there is no end? What's the foundation for any sort of right or wrong behavior? What's the foundation for any sort of hope? What's the foundation for any sort of lasting um, legacy you might live? It'll be gone in 50, 100 years anyway, if you're really good. There's no hope in that. There's no moral foundation in that. Be honest with yourself because I'm guessing if you believe there's no end, you're not really ready to say that, 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 that this is a morally ambiguous world or that there's no hope in it. But, but that is the honest conclusion. I'm here to tell you this morning there is hope. That Jesus Christ, the slain lamb, he, he died, he was raised from the dead, and he's sitting now at the right hand of God reigning over this world. And he will bring history to completion. He alone is worthy to open up the scroll. And he is inviting you into his kingdom. That you might share in his reign. He's inviting you to repent and believe. He's inviting with you to bring with you all of your shame and all of your fear and all of your despair and all of your brokenness. Because one day those things will be wiped away. And we'll see our Lord face to face. And the city of God will be here on earth. And there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sorrow and no more death and no more evil and no more weeping. But only the people of God with the slain Lamb of God rejoicing and praising in His glorious grace. Will you be a part of that vision and share with Him in His eternal kingdom? That is the invitation that is before us this morning. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you um, sent your son Jesus to be the slain lamb who is the savior of the world. May we have a hope beyond all hope in him controlling the end of history, bringing peace and justice and glory to himself. May we repent the many, many ways that we have walked away from him and his kingdom. May we be restored um, to relationship with him and with each other and with this world you've created. We ask these things through your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ.